Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the blatant pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and brutalize and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Now, a quick reminder again for folks listening uh, to please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcasting app and also review it uh, both publicly and feel free to send us feedback. A few weeks ago, we asked for feedback and it's been great to hear what people think uh, about the show and some of the suggestions for ways to improve. So please feel free to share more thoughts. On to today's show. Now, we've spent many years on TechTurt talking about the importance of Section 230 of the CDA, a law that many have called the most important law on the internet. It's the law that says if you have an internet platform, big or small, you aren't legally blamed for the actions of your users, with a few limited exceptions. I've said many times that this feels like common sense, because we should never blame tools for how they're used. But it's not always that clear. And since platforms are often the most visible players, they frequently get targeted and then get sued. Section 230 notably does have a few limitations and exceptions. Uh, It does not apply to intellectual property law, and it does not apply to federal criminal law. Uh, As important as we think the law has been, there's been a lot of talk over the years about changing Section 230. Many people feel that platforms should be more responsible for the actions of their users. Many of the challenges to uh, CDA 230 have been in court, and there have been a few rulings recently that suggest at least a few courts are willing to chip away at some of 230's boundaries, even though for the most part, Uh, I think courts have accepted a fairly broad interpretation of 230 to protect platforms uh, pretty broadly. Uh, However, there's an attempt now in Congress uh, going on right now to modify Section 230 that is a concern to some of us. Uh, The bill is called SESTA, S-E-S-T-A, for the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act, and it was introduced recently uh, in the Senate and has a bunch of sponsors, including some fairly powerful senators, uh, and there are indications that the bill may move pretty quickly. Uh, To me, the bill's kind of a perfect storm of of trouble, (laughs) even in sort of the naming and framing of the bill. I think it's it's designed to make it difficult to oppose because, of course, no one's going to be against stopping sex trafficking. I think we're all for it. Um, But the bill sort of seems tailor-made to allow its supporters to attack the bill's opponents with false claims of supporting sex trafficking. Now, my overall concerns with the bill are, are sort of, there's, there's two main areas, and, and to me it seems clear that the bill may actually hinder actual efforts to stop sex trafficking, uh, despite its name, and that it will create serious negative consequences for both speech and innovation for tons of other companies and individuals engaged in perfectly legal activities. So today on the podcast, we brought on two experts uh, to discuss and debate SESTA. Uh, First, we have Daphne Keller, uh, who's been on the podcast a few times before. She's the Director of Intermediary Liability at the Stanford Center for uh, Internet and Society. 
Lee, and we have a first timer on the podcast, the director of, free of the Free Expression Project at the Center for Democracy and Technology, uh, Emma Lonso. So uh, welcome, Emma and Daphne. And first, let's let's discuss what exactly SESTA says and, and what it claims to do. And Daphne, I'm going to ask you to, to dig in on what, what does the bill actually say? Yeah, so it does a whole lot with a relatively small amount of confusing language. Um, you mentioned that federal criminal claims are already not immunized for platforms under CDA 230. So it takes the federal criminal claim for sex trafficking, which is um, section 1591, 18 USC 1591, and it expands it greatly. So it's much easier for um, a, a an internet platform to accidentally run afoul of it. Um, it also opens up platforms to state criminal claims, which they've been immunized to state so far. Um, and Google, at least, where I used to work, um, had a, a pretty noteworthy run-in with a, a state attorney general in Mississippi a couple of years ago. So it, it opens up the possibility of, uh, of complicated things like that happening with state <laughs> issues. Um, and then finally, currently CDA 230 immunizes the platforms for every kind of civil claim except intermediary liability. Um, SESTA would open them up to both state and federal civil claims. And the claims that the state AGs can bring and the claims that new civil plaintiffs can bring are also broadened with vague language. Um, so there's just a whole lot more breadth and a whole lot more people to sue platforms. Right. And but the the the, the framing of it and sort of you know specifically is talking about, you know, sort of sex trafficking laws but effectively exempting them from the immunity of CDA 230 for both, you know, state attorney generals and, um, and, and civil claims, right? Right. Okay. And so, Emma, do you want to discuss, I know you've, you've written about this, um, you know, sort of what, what your concerns are about the bill? Yeah, I think there, there are a couple of big concerns, um, some of which uh, you mentioned already, Mike. Um, Basically, what SESTA would do is totally radically transform the state of play for any entity that hosts or transmits or directs people to third party content online. I mean, this is really attacking the foundations for um, access to information and uh, platforms for individual expression um, that we've enjoyed over the past 20 years um, that Section 230 has been in act. Um, and there is a couple things that the the risk of liability, um, the multiple risks of liability that SESTA creates would do to hosts of third party content. Um, one would be really actually discouraging them from moderating the content that's on their platforms. Um, the liability that SESTA creates would, you know, requires in, in some cases that the platform have knowledge of the, the content in order to be get uh, to be drawn into a lawsuit or criminal right. prosecution. So, you know, if one of the ways to try to avoid that situation is to avoid obtaining knowledge of the, the material that's on your service, um, which would mean less moderation, less screening, um, and less kind of proactive effort to try to police um, 
trafficking content and other kinds of problematic content from right. services. So, so, and this is this is actually, I think this is an important point that we can dig in for a second on. And, and this is something that I think a lot of people get confused about with CDA 230, which is, you know, a lot of people talk about CDA 230 gives the sort of broad immunity to platforms. Um, but part of that is is the sort of, you know, what's referred to as the Good Samaritan clause, right? Which Which basically says you can moderate. In fact, you're sort of encouraged to, to, you know, uh, moderate your platforms, how, however, the platform sees fit, and, and doing so doesn't introduce any new liability. So, you know, if you decide to leave some stuff up or take some stuff down, those choices don't create new liability. Whereas under SESTA, that could potentially change? Right, exactly. Um, and that provision of 230 that you're talking about was very intentionally a response to a couple of cases from the early days of the web where intermediaries who had taken some steps to moderate um, or edit content um, comments on message boards or forums that they hosted were declared by courts to have basically become editors who were responsible for all of the content uh, that was on their platforms. So 230 was very intentionally drafted to um, to avoid that outcome, where a, a moderator acting in good faith was doing their best to remove problematic content um, or objectionable content uh, and making sure that that didn't expose them to more liability than if they'd just taken a totally hands-off approach. Um, but because the liability under SESTA would hinge on whether the host had knowledge of the content, it might be easiest for hosts to just, especially, you know, smaller companies um, and services that don't have the resources to devote to closely examining everything that gets flagged to them, it may be easier just to um, to take that hands-off approach and say, you know, we'll, we'll do our best not to know what people are uploading to our servers. Right. I mean, yeah. And, and I know that, like, everyone sort of always thinks about these things in terms of, like, the larger platforms, you know, but, but I... I think about these things in terms of like, you know, I run a very small platform is, you know, part of what I do with, we have comments and everything like that. Um, you know, the idea that, that if I remove comments on TechTurt, for example, because there's spam, that suddenly introduces me to liability if I miss a comment that links to, you know, a sex trafficking site. Um, that's, that's kind of scary. Right. And that could open you up to any number of different claims under SESTA at the federal and, and state level. Um, and so that's the, the other kind of big concern that this bill raises is that it creates the strongest possible incentives, federal criminal prosecution, um, as well as state uh, criminal and, and, and civil claims um, for intermediaries to decide, okay, this has been flagged to me. I don't know if it is related to trafficking, but I'm going to err on the side of caution and just take it down. Um, that kind of incentive where continuing to host something that's been notified to the intermediary um, creates a huge amount of risk, whereas taking it down helps <laughs> avoid some of that risk, um, that really stacks the deck in favor of takedown. And that's not going to be lost on people who want to silence other speakers, right? right. It's and a situation ripe for what we call a heckler's veto, right? Where if you don't yeah. agree with what somebody's posted as a comment on TechDirt or a uh, profile on a dating site, flag right. it to the platform, say, I think this is related to trafficking. And chances are that whatever that post is, is going to come down, even if it's a completely specious claim. 
And we have ab abundant evidence um, <laughs> from existing removal systems that that's exactly what happens. You know, I, right. I maintain a blog post on the Stanford CIS site with all the studies that I've come across um, documenting that intermediaries do just what you would expect them to do. They're overly cautious. They remove things that might be illegal just in case. You know, one right. of the big recent studies um, of DMCA removals, a lot of intermediaries told the, uh, the scholars conducting the study that they just take down 100% of requests because that's the safe thing to do. Yeah. And they're they're only facing monetary damages. Right, I was <laughs> going to say right. I mean, so the 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 you know the the punishment, I guess, or you know, if you um, don't take down something under DMCA, is just you know, uh, you know, a, 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 a you know, monetary reward, um, you know, for for copyright infringement potentially. Um, but this would be, you know, actual criminal charges. So the the threat is much bigger, and therefore you would expect more sites to do it. And of course, you know, as as you noted, and as we've seen, and certainly as we've written about, you know, many many times, when you have a tool like the DMCA that allows you to take down uh, content, it gets abused widely. So anyone who gets upset about things will will use almost any tool at their disposal to try and take down content. Um, and so if that's backed up with potential criminal charges, that's that's pretty scary. Um, so uh, there are a couple of things. So one, I, I did want to discuss, there's sort of like the elephant in the room here, which is like, this bill is clearly targeted at one company, right? Yes. I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's clearly targeted at Backpage, um, right. which I imagine you may have discussed here before. Um, there's sort of a, a Craigslist-like site um, that has a lot of ads for sexual services and um, trafficking victims advocates have said that Backpage knows perfectly well what's going on, that it is complicit in that in, in some way. And um, they ha there have been a number of civil claims against Backpage, most of which have failed because of CDA 230, um, be because plaintiffs, you know, didn't show that Backpage was doing something that, that would make them uh, so involved as to lose the immunity. Um, but, you know, there's also the possibility of federal criminal prosecution against right. Backpage, and Congress actually amended the law just two years ago for that very purpose, creating new federal criminal claims uh, essentially designed to reach Backpage, and there hasn't been a prosecution under that yet. So we, we have an existing law that is um, supposed to serve this, this same purpose of, of reaching sites like Backpage if, in fact, they are complicit in sex trafficking, and it hasn't been used yet. We don't know if it works. But then we're also starting to see um, the proponents of the bill start to shift their their language a little bit. I mean, hmm. certainly Backpage has been under intense amounts of scrutiny over the past um, many years. And, you know, all of this kind of first started back in, I think it was 2007, so a decade ago, looking at prostitution ads on Craigslist. You know, right. this is this is not a new conversation. This <laughs> this kind of this question about classified ad sites and people using them to buy sex under different conditions has been around for for quite some time. And it, but the the dynamics and kind of how advocates on both sides focus on the issue have shifted over the years. Um, so now we're talking about not prostitution generally, but 
trafficking specifically, um, you know, so adults who are coerced or, or minors. Um, but recently in kind of in response to the great uh, outpouring of concern and opposition from the tech industry, from the civil liberties community about SESTA, uh, proponents of the bill, um, including sponsors and also some anti-trafficking groups put out their own kind of debunking the myths of this opposition um, and I think some of the tech groups are, are planning to debunk the debunking. But in any <laughs> case, they said very clearly in um, in that document that this is not just about Backpage because they and they sort of anticipated one of the um, very obvious outcomes, you know, if this bill goes into place, that uh, if this law ends up being used to take down Backpage or other sites, of course, trafficking ads are going to pop up on other sites. Um, and so they, right. you know, they were cognizant of that and saying that, you know, this can't just be about one site because, of course, this material will move to another service, um, which was an interesting way of sort of fronting the whack-a-mole question um, right. as sort of a feature of the bill, not a bug. But um, but I think that with the, the kind of the focus on um, going after trafficking ads sort of wherever they show up really sort of raises the question, what happens when these ads start being hosted on sites overseas and outside of U.S. Right. jurisdiction, right? Like, I mean, there's yeah. not, <laughs> there's a limit to what <laughs> Congress yeah. can do, what any state attorney general can do when trafficking ad activity moves to sites hosted, um, you know, on other continents. Yeah, which which seems like the, the sort of obvious next step. And I, I think, by the way, I think that's funny that, that they're saying, oh, this isn't just about Backpage. If you look at, you know, when the bill was announced, um, you know, they got a bunch of the, the co-sponsoring senators to give quotes about it. And I think, you know, I think about half of them directly referenced Backpage, you know, and, and made it clear that the bill was 100% was about Backpage. Um, and it should be noted, too, you know, that because of like the there was this Senate investigation of Backpage, and as that was happening, uh, Backpage announced that they were shutting down the sort of you know the the category of adult content. Now people have claimed that some of those ads have just moved to other parts of the, of the site. Um, but and and you also brought up you know that this started about a decade ago with Craigslist, and it's it does seem notable that you know the, the original target was Craigslist, and then when Craigslist went through a few iterations on this, but eventually they shut down and, and started blocking those ads and then everything just moved to Backpage. So, you know, to, to me, at least, part of the issue is like, you know, targeting the intermediary as opposed to targeting the, you know, the actual, say, sex traffickers seems like a, a sort of bad approach. <laughs> I, I, it just doesn't seem like that would be the most effective approach um, because they're just going to move somewhere. And so the proponents of the bill can say, well, this will allow us to target all the other platforms, but you're right. It's just going to move overseas. And then you're going to, you know, from my perspective, you know, at, at least Craigslist, um, you know, was willing to work with law enforcement and, and share information with them. Um, I don't, I don't know how cooperative Backpage is, but I believe it was at least somewhat cooperative. Um, but you know, when you move to, to a site that nobody knows who actually owns it or where it's based, uh, I don't think that those sites are going to be quite as cooperative. I think the, the other thing about the idea that this is targeting Backpage is that the language of the bill is much, much broader. You know, right. If you w wanted to just target Backpage, you could draft something a, a lot more effective and arguably Congress already did two years ago. Right. Um, but, but what is criminalized now 
is uh, conduct that by any means assists, supports, or facilitates trafficking. You know, that's incredibly broad. That could be having uh, an app that traffickers are using to talk to each other. Um, and you, you can't um, criminally prosecute someone in that situation unless you can show reckless disregard of the trafficking. But again, who knows what that means? If somebody alleges that one of your users is a trafficker, what, what are your obligations and what do you realistically do? You cut them off. Um, but then even beyond that, the, the new state criminal claims and state civil claims are even broader than that or potentially even broader than that because the state AGs and civil plaintiffs um, can sue over with any action that targets conduct that violates federal law. And nobody knows what that means. Nobody has a list <laughs> of what state laws might actually be implicated by that. And nobody knows what new state laws might be passed in the future to come in through that loophole. Um, and so it's, it's, it's really a huge hole in CDA 230. It's, it's not something that is narrowly targeted to Backpage. Yeah, and it, I think it's a really important dynamic to, to emphasize here that what this sort of linking of civil penalties and state criminal law to the federal standard really, really does. Because, you know, arguably DOJ has exercised a huge amount of prosecutorial discretion in not prosecuting, as far as I know, any website operator under federal trafficking statute, you know, in right. the 20 years that the 230 has been in practice, there's, there is arguably a, like a certain amount of restraint that we've seen from federal prosecutors in not taking advantage of potential broad readings of federal criminal law to go after website operators. And I'm, I'm glad about that. But when you have state uh, criminal or civil penalties that could be, um, pursued arguing that they are related to what might fit under federal criminal law, then you're asking for, um, you know, discretion and restraint from every state attorneys general, <laughs> let alone all of the civil litigants who might want to seek recovery against websites for some reason. Um, and that's, I mean, that's where we see a potentially huge number of lawsuits coming up and, you know, very tactical use of, of lawsuits against websites yeah. where, you know, there's not the person bringing the suit knows that they're bringing a frivolous claim, but is trying to use the process of litigation to drive a website um, out of business. And, uh, you know, it, it feels very much like um, slap lawsuits, strategic litigation right. against public participation, where it's the dragging someone through the legal system is the whole goal. Uh, it's not actually getting a, yeah. um, a judgment against them because the underlying facts just aren't there. Uh, and that's a huge risk. I, I, there's so many, you know, so many sites cannot simply cannot afford to defend themselves in court, even if they would ultimately be um, successful against a criminal or civil claim. Yeah. And, and, you know, we see all the time and we write about all the time, the number of, of civil claims that are, are that try and get around 230 either, you know, I mean, plenty of them are, are filed apparently without the lawyers recognizing that 230 exists, which is interesting. But then we see all sorts of creative attempts to try and, you know, make things get around 230 and, and claim, you know, because of a few cases where, where there have been successes or in some cases people just come up with sort of creative, um, usually incorrect, but creative attempts at, at, at trying to get around 230, giving them this big target that, you know, allows them to, 
um, you know, to go after sites is, is a concern. Um, and that's on this, on the civil side, on the, on the state side, that's also a really big concern. And this is something that, you know, unless you sort of spend a lot of time in this space, people don't always recognize this, but, um, and, and I'm trying to, to put this as diplomatically as possible, <laughs> but, but state, uh, attorneys general, um, at, at times have potentially a, a reputation or history of, um, what I would call grandstanding <laughs> and, and targeting uh, large companies for, to, to go after in part to just sort of get headlines. Um, and, you know, to, to bring in an example, you know, Craigslist was, was an example of this, um, you know, back when, when, you know, 10 years ago, when we were talking about like targeting prostitution ads, um, you know, they went after the state, AGs went after Craigslist pretty hard, even though they knew that they couldn't actually, um, you know, bring any legal claims against it. But they just sort of kept pounding on Craigslist over and over and over again, um, to the point that you know, the the companies sort of feel, you know, if you're targeted by a bunch of state AGs, they they feel, um, you know, pressured into doing something. And, and there's a, you know, this is an old article. I, I forget how old it is, seven or eight years ago. Um, uh, Chris Tallis, who's the CEO of a company called Topics, wrote this article for TechCrunch, um, which is really revealing, where uh, his site was was targeted by a bunch of state attorneys general, um, not with any legal underpinning, <laughs> um, but they just didn't like the way that Topics did certain things. And um, they like just put out this giant press release saying like mm -hmm. topics is bad um, and threatening him. And, you know, he wrote about how he went in and he talked to all of them and sort of, you know, completely open, explained exactly why they do what they do, how it makes sense, why, you know, why what they're doing makes sense and, and thought that he had sort of, you know, reasoned with them. And like a week or two later, they put out like another letter that had even more state, state AGs on it, you know, basically saying, now we know even more about how awful topics is, and just sort of kept pressuring him, even though there was no actual legal basis that eventually they had to change the way their site worked. Yeah, um, There was a version of that kind of government pressure um, attempt in in the back page litigation as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, full disclosure, CDT is filed on behalf of Backpage in a number of different cases, some of them about interpreting the scope of Section 230. Um, one, a couple years ago, uh, the Backpage versus Dart case, where mm -hmm. the um, Cook County, Illinois Sheriff Tom Dart was, he had already attempted to bring um, lawsuits. He had brought a failed lawsuit against Craigslist, and I believe also one against Backpage directly. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, had been very involved in this broad effort, um, you know, targeting trafficking ads. Uh, and so his new tactic was to send threatening letters to Visa and Mastercard um, to <laughs> yes. say that you know he might bring uh non-existent federal charges against them for uh, for processing payments for backpage and he certainly was going to be holding press conferences um and talking about you know the way the credit card companies were supporting um trafficking by allowing backpage to have accounts with them um and so we uh, backpage challenged this as a, a violation of their first amendment rights um to have this kind of government coercion of, you know, some link in the chain that's essential to getting speech published online. Um, and, and we filed in support of that argument because this seemed, you know, very much like the old Bantam Books case um, where, you know, a, 
it was a, a state sort of morality review board sending right. threatening letters to the distributors of books saying we really don't think you should have these titles um, available uh, for purchase. You know, that kind of government coercion aimed at censoring speech actually does violate the First Amendment. Um, and there was a great opinion um, from Judge Posner in that case, um, in the in the Backpage versus Dart case, yeah. really laying out how, especially in the online context, where all of our speech is so dependent on a chain of intermediaries, whether those are um, content hosts, access providers, domain name registrars, or financial intermediaries who, you know, without accounts with them, it's hard to, to process payments for your staff or your um, web hosting fees or whatever it might be, that that whole chain needs to be understood as, you know, part of what makes free speech online possible. And when government targets any part of that chain with an end goal of censorship, the First Amendment comes into play. Yeah, that was that was a, a good, clear ruling, as, as Posner's rulings often <laughs> are. Um, it's also yeah. interesting how the state pressure um, sometimes it sort of can be an alternate forum for the exact same big power struggles that are playing out in D.C. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in particular sort of uh, power struggles between Internet industries, content industries and telcos. Um, you know, the, the experience that Google had, of course, was with the Mississippi State AG, yeah. um, you know, pursuing the company pretty aggressively. And at one point, uh, Google got uh, letters from him that had track changes in it showing that it had been reviewed and revised by the MPAA's outside counsel. Right, <laughs> so right. There's this, you know, weird replay of, of federal um, copyright politics going on at the state level via and the AG. And then Matt Shears blogged about this for CCIA and described something similar that happened, I think it was in New Jersey, where it was sort of a um, telco versus internet yeah. uh, interest battle displaced from DC and into the state AG process. So it's, it's troubling having yeah. these, these new forums come up. Yeah, and, and actually the, the Mississippi case is, is sort of, it's, it's a really interesting one to explore deeply. And, and, and you know, what happened there, and, and a lot of this only came out because of the the Sony hack, right, that revealed mm -hmm. the emails. And, and in those emails, what came out was that, you know, the, the MPAA and, and, you know, its its studio members had seen like a New York Times article talking about how, you know, um, one of the best ways to, to affect you know, change this way was to to effectively lobby very heavily uh, state AGs to sort of push their agenda. And so they set up this thing called Project Goliath, <laughs> which was uh, to directly target Google. And, and the goal was they, were, they, they laid this out in the emails, you know, get as get a bunch of state attorneys general to basically um, go after Google on, on basically anything that they could um, just to cause cause Google pain. Um, and, and the only one who really sort of seemed to buy into it uh, was was Mississippi's Attorney General Jim Hood. And he issued this, you know, sort of really, really broad and, and vast, you know, uh, uh, fishing expedition um, subpoena to, to Google, um, you know, arguing a whole bunch of things about the, you know, that, that, you know, you could find on Google. He did searches on Google and said he could find all this awful stuff. And I think some of it may have even included claims about trafficking or prostitution. I don't remember exactly. I mean, a lot of it was about like 
drugs and there was some you know copyright material in there um but you know it was clearly just sort of a fishing expedition to sort of go through anything that google did and you know if you have sesta in place you could see how you know any state attorney general whether it's you know jim hood or, or someone else could you know sort of use that to go on a big fishing expedition against any company that they wanted to so that's 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 definitely uh, a concern and then one sort of one other element of all this and and this goes back a little bit to the the dart uh case you know the thing that struck me you know so he he targeted the platforms directly and then he um you know then he targeted the the payment providers but the amazing thing was that while all this was going on you had cases in cook county where uh law enforcement was saying that they were tracking down traffickers by using Backpage as sort of the source to, to, to track them down. So it became a tool to actually help them stop trafficking. Um, and so there are like a whole bunch of efforts underway to try and actually, you know, go after the, the, the actual traffickers. Um, and a lot of them actually involve technology and technology companies. And so, you know, so my concern in all of this is does this does this bill, if it passes, does that scare companies off? You know, you have companies that are sharing data and information. There are a couple of different projects that are, you know, about, you know, anytime they see like, you know, sharing images, for example, so that everyone knows, like, if you see this image, that's, that's, that's a problematic image. Um, you know, but does this scare companies off from participating in those things? Because that could be then seen as, as knowledge going back to that, the, the standard again. It's kind of reminiscent of this uh, a problem that's more and more prominent in the terrorism context where companies will have law enforcement from one place uh, saying, you know, this is a beheading video, take it down. Right. And law enforcement from another place, sometimes another branch of the same government, saying <laughs> we are investigating these people by tracking the activity related to this beheading right. video. Do not, under any circumstances, take it down. <laughs> and, you know, you definitely do not want random technology companies caught in the middle and making decisions on things like that. Yeah. And there's certainly nothing in SESTA, you know, as it's written now, that would protect an intermediary who was trying to be helpful or cooperative with the government from being exposed to potential civil claims, you know, from a, a state litigant who has no idea that, you know, the website is involved in some federal sting or something, and they just see right. evidence of trafficking ads on the site and are going to bring a claim. I mean, it's, you know, I don't, that aspect of all of this does not seem to have been um, thought through, at least in terms of how SESTA is going to really change the dynamic for um, for law enforcement and other efforts to truly crack down on trafficking. Right. So, so what's the what's the sort of political situation around the bill? What you know, where is it? What is how is it moving? What is the the likelihood? Well, uh, SESTA was introduced in the Senate um, at the beginning of August, and a couple weeks in, it has um, tr at least 27 co-sponsors. And hmm. uh, you know, I think the sponsors of the bill have been, um, you know, very aggressively recruiting other potential sponsors. Uh, very bipartisan coalition. Um, so the chances that this bill at least gets a, a hearing um, at some point in the fall seem pretty high. There's also a similar bill that's actually even broader um, in the House, uh, sponsored mm -hmm. by Representative Wagner, um, who has, was 
one of the driving forces behind the SAVE Act a couple years ago. Um, and that bill also has a number of co-sponsors. Um, you know, that that seemed to be on a somewhat slower track than the Senate bill. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, given the amount of, of firepower behind the Senate draft, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if one of these goes forward, if it's the Senate version. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, this is, this is a very active issue right now. Yeah. And so, and, and, you know, a, a number of groups, especially in the, the tech and sort of civil liberty space have come out, um, and, and to, to oppose it. Um, I know that, that you guys have, have written about it. We've written some stuff and, and participated in some, some of the letters. Um, what, uh, what happens next? Or do we not know? Or we're sort of in a holding pattern? Do, do we have to... I feel like you know that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, um, Congress is in recess right now. So we all have a right. couple of weeks for uh, coordination and, and Hill visits and um, as much kind of organizing as possible. Um, but yeah, uh, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised to see... Um, a hearing sometime this fall uh, depends on how quickly the Senate can move and what else is preoccupying it at the time. Um, but, you know, I would really, I would hope that at least some of the members of Congress who are considering these bills really take seriously the fact that you have seen, you know, advocacy groups from across the political spectrum, mm-hmm. tech industry from the biggest companies to the smallest companies all coming out and saying this is a really bad idea, um, that this will have impact on the U.S. economy, let alone freedom of speech online, um, and and that that my hope is that the strength of those arguments, the consistency of those arguments, and how widely shared they are and have been for the decade that we've been talking about this, makes an impact on some members of Congress. But on the other hand, you know, this is as you were saying at the top of the show, Mike, this is framed as, well, are you for enabling sex trafficking or against yeah. it? Um, and that politically is incredibly difficult for um, for members to, yeah. <laughs> you know, to fall on the quote unquote sure. wrong side. So, you know, I mean, for anybody listening, contacting your representatives about this is a great idea. I know that Electronic Frontier Foundation has um, a letter writing campaign and resources for kind of explaining to your members why this is such a problem. Um, And, you know, I I think it is important for senators and reps who are still considering where they stand on this bill to to know that there's understanding among their constituents and, you know, a people would back them up if they decide to, um, you know, not support this bill. But I think it's going to be a very difficult fight. Yeah. And, if, you know, if I can make a prediction about what Emma's going to do, <laughs> 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 I think if, if a bill with this language were to become law, which I kind of can't imagine because it's such terrible language, um, but, you know, this looks in many ways like the um, overbroad language that CDT um, challenged in the CDT v. Pappert case right. 20 years ago and um, successfully challenged on First Amendment grounds, saying, hey, if you are threatening intermediaries with criminal liability in, in order to compel them to take down Internet content under these incredibly vague standards, making it inevitable they're going to take down lawful content, that's a problem. <laughs> that is a First Amendment issue. So oh, I hope absolutely. we don't get there, 
Um, but you know, that's that's one possible thing down the road. Yes, yeah. absolutely. If this gets passed into law, um, that is certainly not the end of the story. And <laughs> you know, it reminds me of um, back in it was around 2012, 2013, after some of the first cases where um, victims of trafficking were trying to recover damages against Backpage and were being told consistently in courts, like. Section 230 prevents this, um, you know, sorry, civil recovery is preempted um, by this federal law. We saw a couple of states pass their own versions of uh, sex trafficking liability for intermediaries bills in New Jersey, Tennessee, and Washington. And each of those bills were struck down, not only for being inconsistent with 230's preemption clause, but also under First Amendment grounds. Um, Mm. And that the court's you know, went as they could have just stopped at the nope, federal law preempts this kind of state law. uh, And so we're throwing it out. But in fact, in each of those cases, the um, the courts did the First Amendment analysis, too, and found that, you know, whether it was the scope or the breadth or the the vagueness of the law, um, that there were serious First Amendment issues. Um, And I think that's something important for all of us to remember, you know, 230 has been absolutely instrumental and we're, you know, fighting to defend it um, tooth and nail, but the First Amendment still exists regardless of what happens to 230. Right. And the arguments about how federal law or state law impacts access to information and opportunities for speech and, and influences whether intermediaries are willing to host speech or provide access to it, um, the First Amendment is still incredibly relevant. Uh, and so, you know, that's, that's always going to be um, a very strong fallback for us. It's it's interesting in the U.S. Sort of as Emma was saying, precisely because of CDA 230, we haven't had courts needing to wrangle that much with the constitutional questions about speech rights and legal pressures on intermediaries. But outside of the U.S., um, mm-hmm. where there are very few laws like CDA 230, a number of courts have had to wrangle with it, and a number of them have said laws that cause intermediaries to broadly take down speech for fear of liability and, you know, therefore take down legal speech along with the illegal, those laws violate the speech rights of internet users. And they've been struck down in a couple of places. Yeah. Interesting. That's a good point. And I think a lot of people, you know, they focus on 230 and sort of, and, and the intermediaries and the platforms, um, and they don't necessarily recognize how important 230 is to to actually the you know, overall free expression, um, both in enabling it and then protecting it. Um, so I, I think that's that's an important point, and it's you know I guess some slightly comforting <laughs> that you sort of have have this backstop of of the First Amendment, um, but you hope that you don't need to you don't need to use that um, to to protect because at least in the meantime you could see how it could create a lot of damage. Um, you know, having this bad law and, 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 you know, I mean, the most frustrating thing to me about this is just this idea that, you know, anyone seen opposing this can gets, you know, uh, gets hit with such a broad brush attack that claiming that they're, you know, somehow supporting trafficking. And I've already, I've gotten press releases already, you know, attacking people who are, you know, pushing back on this bill as somehow supporting sex trafficking when, when a big part of the arguments is that this bill is, you know, it's actually going to make it in some ways harder to stop sex trafficking. So, um, that's, that's, that's frustrating. I I mean, it just gets back to a general thing of like, whenever you sort of tie 
policy goals to, you know, protecting the children or something, <laughs> um, you know, reason and, and logical debate sometimes goes out the window. Uh, and and with it some of our constitutional rights potentially <laughs> so and and the laws passed on that basis become sort of the the camel's nose under the tent for other things so so, you know, yes. so many laws and technologies that were created for the laudable goal of fighting child pornography gradually become used no oh, maybe for security and anti-terrorism purposes mm -hmm. and maybe right. also you know, for defamation claims, you know, there's sort of, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of slippery slope there. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, um, hopefully we don't start sliding down that slope. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think, I think on, on that, not very optimistic <laughs> note, <laughs> we'll, we'll close, but, but hopefully, hopefully we can, we can avoid this. Um, but if, you know, if you're listening, I think, you know, Emma made a good point, you know, um, you know, figure out at least where your, where your senators and, uh, representatives stand on this, um, and, and potentially make some calls and, and definitely pay attention you know, uh, you know, I know CDT is, is very much on top of this and, and writing about it and doing stuff and EFF and, and lots of others and we're writing about it as well. So uh, pay attention because this, this one's pretty important. Um, but uh, Emma and Daphne, thank you very much uh, for, for taking the time to discuss this and uh, I guess get back to work uh, <laughs> fighting to stop it. <laughs> and um, Thanks, everyone, for, for listening and joining us, and, and we'll be back next week with something else. Thanks for having us, Mike. Yeah, Thanks. thank you. To grab a shovel and pick up the tap. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get. To grab a shovel and pick up the tap. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get. To grab a shovel and pick up the tap.